Welcome on in to another episode of Nate at the Foul Pole, episode number 47. Uh, we appreciate all the support on our past episodes. We appreciate everyone, uh, you know, giving us a listen, giving us some feedback, voting on our polls on Twitter. We appreciate all of that. Today, we have a very special episode. Um, basically, we did one around around the same time last year, uh, but a draft preview with Jim Callis, the esteemed writer uh, for MLB Pipeline and for Major League Baseball. Uh, he does a great job kind of profiling these draft prospects and ranking them along with Jonathan Mayo over there at MLB Pipeline. And then, of course, he'll be on MLB Network uh, coming up on July 11th on draft day when the Orioles make their number five overall pick. Uh, he'll be there to cover all of that. So today we have an interview for you. Um, so please enjoy the interview here with Jim Callis. Okay, we now welcome one Jim Callis of MLB. Um, Jim, uh, welcome back to the show. We had you on last year. It's a pleasure to have you again. Yeah, no, it's it's great to be here and and, and great to be uh, talking about the draft when guys have actually played a full season this time around. Yeah, how, what's your uh, what's your workload been like so far? Uh, just super busy. Every yeah, week? I mean, kind of as usual. I mean, it, it's it's been a little bit of an odd year because the calendar is so much different because they've moved the draft forward to the All Star break, so there's an extra month of additional opportunity to cover the draft. You know, like, I mean, we could keep going forever and rank a thousand prospects if they want to move the, the, the draft to December, which, which they're not going to do. But no, I mean, it's, it's been kind of usual stuff. The draft combine was new this year and kind of getting used to the, the new calendar. Cool. Well, uh, we wanted to start off uh, with a guy by the name of Jack Leiter, um, getting a chance to see him in the pitch in the college world series now. Um, he's been getting a lot of buzz, you know, for the last couple of years here. Um, how does he compare to a guy like Sonny Gray? Um, I think he's a better prospect than Sonny Gray was at the same stage of their careers. I mean, there, there are some parallels there because neither one was especially big or physical, and they both pitched for Vanderbilt, mm-hmm. both pitched in the College World Series, dominated the SECs. So there's a lot of parallels there. Um, you know, I think the difference, the biggest difference between him, I, I just think his fastball is better, not necessarily harder. But, but Leiter's just got one of those special fastballs that because of the angle and plane he delivers it on and, and the spin on it, 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 you know, it just seems like it's one of those optical illusions where it seems like it's rising and guys just swing under his fastball all the time. You know, he can throw that. If he keeps it above the belt in the strike zone, guys just swing under it consistently. It's weird. He actually gets in trouble, I think, when he gets the pitch kind of, you know, belt high or or, you know, in the lower half of the strike zone than the upper half. But it's just a special fastball. And I, I think that's probably the, the biggest difference. But but there are a lot of parallels. Both really good competitors, too. Mm-hmm. You know, along that lines of, of comparisons, um, you know, Heston Kerstad, the Orioles' second overall pick last year. Um, you know, a lot of people want to know, especially Orioles fans, want to know how he compares to a guy like Colton Kowser, um, another one of the top outfielders in college this year, a guy that could, you know, potentially come off the board in the top five picks, top ten picks, um, and potentially to the Orioles at underslot at second or at number uh, number five, excuse me. Um, so, how would those two guys compare? You know, what's what are their talent bases? Uh, you know, kind of compared like. Yeah, it's weird. Like, see, I don't think those two guys are really similar at all. Um, you know, Kerstad was a guy whose power was his best tool. Um, And he'd had a lot of success from day one for three years in the Southeastern Conference, which is the highest level of college baseball. And Kowser is more of a hit over power guy, though he has shown more power this year. He's a plus runner and a good center fielder where Kerstad's more of a corner guy. So they're, you know, they're both college outfielders, but the similarities kind of end there. You know, Kowser's at Sam Houston, which is not a, you know, it's a mid-major. It's not a major conference. Um, But you're right. I mean, you know, it's possible if the Orioles cut a deal at five, they'd probably be looking at if they go the college route, Kowser 
or South Frelick seem like they'd be the two guys, the, the outfielder from BC, who's kind of similar to Kowser, a little quicker, a little less power, power than Kowser. Um, but, um, but yeah, that, that's how he, those guys kind of stack up. So along the same lines, you'd mentioned possibly the Orioles cutting a deal at number five. Um, in your previous mock draft, you had them taking uh, Henry Davis out of Louisville, the catcher. Um, you know, why do you have them drafting another catcher after already drafting Adley Rutschman? Do you think position doesn't necessarily matter? Yeah, I don't think the position necessarily matters. And it is kind of fluid with the Orioles. Like, like <laughs> there's all these different scenarios. I don't think at this point, you know, it's still, I think, 11 days before the draft as we record this, mm-hmm. that, that we really know what's going to happen the first four picks, to be honest with you. Um, the only thing I feel super certain about is that I do think if Marcelo Meyer, who I think is the best player in the draft, is available at number three, I do think the Tigers will take him. And everything else is still kind of fluid at this point. And I think the Orioles, the Orioles could take the best player on the board, which might be a high school shortstop. The Orioles could take the best college guy on the board if it's the right college guy. Um, or they could cut a deal and, and kind of do what they did last year with, with, with Kerstad. Um yeah, and I don't really know which way they're going to go, to be honest with you. You know, I think if they go the college route, I, th- I think they would really like to get their hands on Jack Leiter, which I don't think will happen. Um, I think I don't think he'd get past the Red Sox at four. Um, but I do think, you know, and, and it's weird. Henry Davis could go number one overall to the Pirates. I, I think he's in their mix. I don't think he's really going two or three of the Rangers or the Tigers. And then he could be – I don't have great feel for the Red Sox as much feel as I'd like for the fourth pick in the draft for now, but he could be in their mix. But but the reason you would take him at five would be a couple things. One, if he's the best player on your board, I think you should take him. Um, you know, you don't worry about – I mean, I know you got to have Adley Rutschman, who, who in my mind is the best catcher in, in the draft, you know, prospect-wise, since it went to a single draft in, in 1987. Um, and, and he is the catcher of the future. But if you had Henry Davis – you know, there's a couple ways you could go. One, you know, let's say Henry Davis becomes an all-star catcher. The worst case scenario is you trade him and you're going to get a ton for him. If he's the best player, you might as well take the best player. Two, you know, you could do some kind of timeshare where they share time behind the plate and then, you know, spend some time at DH. And so you'd have them both in the lineup on a fairly regular basis as opposed to, you know, most times you have a catcher. He's not probably playing more than two-thirds of the time and he's going to get beat up behind the plate and take a toll on his bat. And, and three – what I would do if, if I were the Orioles, let's say Henry Davis is the top guy on my board, the way the draft plays out, and I take Henry Davis. You know, he he's easily the best college position player in this year's draft. He, he, you know, he's not Spencer Torkelson, he's not Andrew Vaughn. You know, he's he's not not Adley Rushman. He's not one of those guys, but he is the best college position player in this year's draft, and he's got a chance to be a solid plus hitter with solid plus power, and he's got a really good arm, and he moves well for a catcher. I, I would just maximize the bat. I just he's kind of a shaky receiver. That's going to need some work. And to me, if you have a guy, a catcher who can really hit, and you're hoping like, okay, maybe he can get fringy or close to average behind the plate, I'd rather just get the most out of his bat than have the position take its toll on him. You know, have him provide you know you know average at best defense behind the plate. And so if it were me, and Henry Davis was the best guy on the board, um, I, I would just take him and then make him you know, either a third baseman, maybe see how that worked for a little bit or a corner. I think he could at least play corner outfield and he's got a really good arm. So, you know, a long way of answering that, but I just think if he's the best player, you know, you never can have too much talent in any one position. You know, if you had a great shortstop and a shortstop was the best guy on the board, well, shortstops change positions. And that's the nice thing about Henry Davis is his value is not tied in to him being a catcher. Um, In fact, I think the catching, I mean, we won't count as speed because it's not really matter, but like of the four tools that matter for a catcher, 
his catching is probably the worst tool. Like, like actually, it's not probably. It is the worst tool. Mm-hmm. So you look at the the Orioles at number five too, and a lot of people have talked about the, the really the top three prep shortstops in Lawler, uh, Meyer, and uh, Khalil Watson. And you look at those three guys. And you kind of have to, to figure out what separates these three, obviously. And, and they're definitely going to be probably two of the three going in that top five. Um, so would the Orioles look to take a prep guy like that at number five, even though the timeline you know, is probably going to be accelerated in front of where a guy like that would debut? Um, you know, you look at maybe like three, four years before a, a Khalil Watson would even make his major league debut. So that's part one of the question, but then what's the biggest differentiating factor between those three prep shortstops? Well, I'd say in part one, I wouldn't necessarily count on it being three or four years because usually if you take like an elite, elite high school player that high in the draft, they're going to move quicker than expected. Like if you got one of those guys, yeah, well, I, I don't know what development's going to look like now with fewer minor league teams. Like I assume right. that a high school shortstop would go to – they've read it was at the Florida Complex League now, I think is what they call the Gulf Coast League. Um <laughs> So I don't, you know, you know, you know. I assume the guy would probably begin next year in low A, but but those guys can move pretty fast. So so I would think if you drafted a guy this year, he might be in the big leagues by the end of 2023. You know, wow. if you're taking a high school guy at five, because I mean it's going to be a pretty special player. But if you're separating those guys, and I would throw Brady House in that mix too, because I, I think they do like Brady House some too. So the four guys you have: Marcelo Meyer, Jordan Lawler, Cleo Watson, and Brady House, and that's the order we've ranked him in. Um, I think Meyer is the most polished of those guys. Like he, he has good, he has really good tools. I think he's, you know, we just did a best tools list for the draft. I think he's got the best hitting ability in the draft. And I think he's the best defender in the draft is, is the way we sorted them out. And you know, he may not have the most power and he's, he's, he's like just an average runner. Like the speeds, like the one tool doesn't stand out. He's not the flashiest defender, but he's just polished. You know, we've gotten kind of a comps of a, like Corey Seager type of bat with a Brandon Crawford glove. So, I mean, that's pretty good player right there. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, Jordan Lawler. Yeah. I think most people have, have um, Meyer and Lawler is kind of the top two and then Watson and, and house just slightly behind them. Um, Lawler has more explosive tools. I think he's got more power. He's got more speed than, than, than Meyer, but he's not as quite as polished. There's a little bit more swing and miss in his game. Um you know, he's, I mean, he's a good defender, but I, I just think, you know, Meyer's more polished defender. For Watson, he's probably, if you're, like, more similar to Lawler than to Meyer. Like, he, he's a smaller guy, and he takes a really big swing, but he makes it work. He's really good hand-eye coordination, um, so he gets to a lot of his power. He, you know, what stood out about him is we had him ranked, I think, in the 11 to 15 range coming into the year, and so he was obviously pretty good, but he's gotten – quicker, stronger. He was hitting the ball with more authority. He's just gotten better and, you know, he's playing a better shortstop. And then Brady House of those four guys is probably the one who's most likely not to play shortstop in the long term. Now that said, he has been a little bit quicker this spring. So you, you give him a chance and, you know, it's easy to say with the bigger guys are going to move off shortstop and, and they don't always move off shortstop, but he's got the best power in the group. He, he, he might be, he probably has some, he does have the most usable power of any high school position player in the entire draft. So that's, kind of what the four guys all bring to the table from the Orioles perspective. I, I like I said, I, like Meyer's not going to get past three. I, I don't think there's any way that Meyer's available, but conceivably any of the other three guys could be like, I, I I'd be surprised if Brady house goes ahead of them and then Lawler or Watson, it, it could go either way. 
So what about what about a guy like uh, Kumar Rocker? Um, have you seen him falling slightly on some boards? And if so, is that due to his workload? Yeah, you know, I, I get asked this question a lot, and, and and I don't really think he's slipped per se. Mm-hmm. I just think that coming in the year, and we had him ranked number one coming in the year, but it was never you know Kumar like he's Steven Strasburg or or the right. Bryce Harper of, of pitchers, where it's, it was clearly Kumar and everybody else. Like right. Kumar and, and Jack Leiter to that extent, were, were probably the two most famous guys coming into the year, and they potentially could go one, could have gone one and two. Um, but I think there's this, like, this public perception that it was, all, that it was them and everybody else. Because like, every time we do mock draft, we hear from Pirates fans, how come they're not taking a Vanderbilt pitcher? Or, you know, like, like, what's going on here? That's ridiculous. I want one of the Vanderbilt pitchers. And they're, they're the best-known guys. I mean, they're, they're pitching the College World Series. They're one and two in the nation's strikeouts. And I think with Kumar – it's not even that he's been passed by other guys. I mean, like my, I think Marcella Myers moved ahead of him, but like, it just kind of depends on your taste, you know? And I, I think Jack Leiter is, is better than Kumar. Um, but I think after that, you could argue Kumar against anybody else in the draft and, and, and you know, make a, make a case for him. Um, you know, if you know, he's had a good year. I mean, he's, he's pitching tonight as we record this, he has a chance to I think he needs five or six strikeouts to lead the nation in strikeouts and pass Leiter. If he pitches great, he could want to be the most outstanding player of the College World Series and be the first guy who's ever done that twice. Maybe two for two because he didn't get a chance to do it last year. Um, you know, his velocities fluctuate a little bit at times, which I think is standard. Um, he you know, has had a couple games where he hasn't really got many swings and misses with his fastball. And, and his slider, which is his wipeout pitch, he gets a lot of people to chase that. And so there's like you're nitpicking these guys because, I mean, I mean, Kumar could have been a first-rounder out of high school or was at least in that discussion. Yeah. So you, you nitpick these guys who are at the top of the draft. And, and, you know, I think there's some concern. I say concern. I, I guess at least a question. I shouldn't say concern. But, you know, how well how, – how much are better hitters going to chase his slider? You know, he doesn't get swings and misses in the strike zone like Jack Leiter gets swings and misses in the strike zone. So, again, I mean, that's kind of nitpicky. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he, he actually throws more strikes than, than, than Jack Leiter. He, I think he's a little bit more polished. But so I don't think it's so much that he slipped, and I don't think – you know, I don't think his workload is, is that much different than it was as a freshman, to be honest with you. I mean, he's got – I haven't looked at the innings later. He might have as many innings as anybody in the country just because, well, it's counting today, he's going to have more starts than anybody in the country. Right. I mean, he's a big, strong guy, and he generally goes six or seven innings. But um, so I, I don't think that he's done anything wrong or that he's regressed. It's just, you know, at the top of the draft, for instance, I think the Pirates want to take a position player and perhaps cut a deal. I think lighter – I don't know for every team, but I think for most teams, Leiter is ahead of Rocker. Um, so I don't think, you know, I think Leiter could go ahead of, go with the Orioles. I don't think Rocker will. And, you know, and then you get, you know, kind of philosophical questions. You know, you've, you've got these tooled up high school shortstops, and some teams would rather have a position player. You have some teams that want a college bat, and Henry Davis is there. So um, it'll be interesting to see where he goes. Like right now, I think he probably goes. I don't, I don't know who else would be on the board. I don't think the Orioles take him at five. I think yeah. he could go six to Diamondbacks. I think he could go seven to the Royals. And then I think he, it, it's at the point. Like I don't know if the Rockies would take him at eight, but I think almost everybody else at that point, it would be, okay, look, we didn't expect him to be here. You know, can we make this work financially? Um, but, it, but yeah, it's from Orioles standpoint, I really don't think he'll be their guy. I, I think they have other guys I like more. And to follow up on that, um, would you expect that they will not take an arm? I know that's kind of been the the consensus around the Orioles is that they're, they're not going to take an arm in this draft, um, at, at least at number five. 
Well, no, I, I wouldn't say 100% because I, I, I do – again, it's all fluid. So, like, I might – between my – I'll do another mock draft next week and I'll do another one before the draft and I'll probably do a names-only one the day of. So maybe I'll get more information because teams are starting to meet now and things start mm -hmm. to solidify. Right. My gut feel right now as of today is I think Jack Leiter is the guy they want. Uh, like, I, I think they would take wow. Jack Leiter. Like, I think he would be their guy. So I don't think it's a it's a philosophical – like we're definitely not taking a picture. I, I, you know, there's, and that said, I don't think they're like, like I said, I don't think they take Kumar Rocker. And I think if you're just grading out stuff and control, the combination of three pitch control, Jackson Job grades out better than either of the Vanderbilt guys. Um, yeah. Now that said, he's a high school pitcher that comes with risk. You know, Leiter and Rocker have proven themselves against the SEC, which is a top level college baseball. Um, and they've dominated. They've stayed healthier longer. You know, Job hasn't because he's younger. I, I don't think – I'm not hearing Job for them at all. So, really, the, the, will they not take a – there's only really three guys you could consider, I think, at five, unless you were doing a deal to, to save money with somebody. And, and so, of those three, I, I think the only one in play would be lighter. But I do think – I do think they would take lighter. And, and as I said before, though, I, I, I think there's a good chance lighter goes two. Maybe he goes three if Meyer goes one. And I think the Red Sox would take him. So I think the chances that he gets to Baltimore are, are pretty slight. I think the two guys I would cross off before five. I, I, there, there's no chance Meyer gets there. And, and I don't think uh, – I can't speak – later gets there. I think there's scenarios where, where anybody else you come up with could be there at five. Is there someone that you identify um, in your post-top five picks that you say this guy you think that has the high, highest ceiling? Uh, post top five from your previous mock draft on the 23rd that is yeah uh well i mean i mean i didn't have I'm trying to think i can't well, i mean brady house has a high ceiling i didn't have brady house or Khalil watson in my in my top five and they both have really high ceilings um and i didn't have kumar and he's got a high ceiling um so i mean i i really feel like i mean the Orioles are not in a bad position to pick really because to me there's eight guys on that top tier who are who are pretty close together you know, we've got Meyer and Lawler ranked one and two, like I said, and I don't think they'll get to five. But the Orioles are going to get a crack at at least four of the other eight. So um, they'll, they'll get a pretty good player. I, I think the tougher part to pick in this draft, would kind of, well, it's just a weird draft. Like there's a second tier players, about six or seven players. So if you're picking nine to 15, you're probably taking one of those guys, hoping somebody falls. And then the back half of the first round, I just don't think there's any consensus. So mm. they should get a very good prospect, a very high ceiling guy. And like, I don't think we talked after I last year. I didn't mind the Kerstad pick last year. You know, I, I think like we had Kerstad ranked ninth, but Kerstad was a really good player. And, and like the gap between him and say Austin Martin wasn't as much as people might have thought it was. Yeah. And I understood what they were trying to do. I don't know if they necessarily got the player they saved money for. I understood what they were they were trying to do. But so this is not a knock at Kerstad, who obviously has been beset by some things that, that have kept him off the field. But I, I think the guy they will get this year at five will be a better prospect than Heston a healthy Heston Kerstad was. You look at, you know, Spencer Torkelson automatically sliding into number three on your top 100 last year. Um, so where do you see some of these guys in really that top tier of draft prospects sliding into the top 100 once they're drafted? Yeah, um, I think Meyer and Leiter would rank the highest. And it's weird because it's <laughs> we we've been so busy with the draft and the season started late and we've had I was looking at I think we've had 
27 players graduate off our top 100 since the season started, <laughs> which is crazy. I think part of that's because of the way they changed the service time rules for, for rookie status last year and, and counted September. Um, and so guys have been pushed way up the list. Like I kind of feel like Meyer and Leiter would kind of fit in around 25 or so on the list. Um, and then the rest of the guys, I, I kind of have to look at how the, the list would look at that point. We'll probably do a lot of shuffling too, but I don't know. Like, let's say they got Henry Davis, you know, like he probably, to me, that goes my, my cell phone. Sorry about that. Well, uh, uh, Henry Davis goes to, um, you know, he, he'd probably rank, I don't know, closer to 50 than 25. You know, I, I think these other guys that they would get, get in that range would, you know, like if they got, like, I don't think they would take Lawler, but Lawler might be kind of in that 30, 35 range, that type of thing. So was, there was something that um, started this year that I was really intrigued by um, the first ever draft com- combine for baseball. Um, I, I didn't get a chance to really dig too deep into it, but was there a guy or a couple of guys that really impressed you coming out of that? Yeah. I mean, and it was where like, you know, talking to the teams that were there. I mean, I, I think the players thought the, the event was really well run and they, and I think there'll be good word of mouth and it'll help the event grow in the future. But you know, there wasn't really necessarily a lot of opportunity just with the way the scouting process works to, to jump up a lot. You know, these guys have all been scouted for over a year, especially mm-hmm. on the high school side, because the showcase circuit was, was fairly business as normal last year. And so, you know, for college players, the, there were no games, college guys, if, if they chose to participate and, and some guy, Henry Davis was there for like a day, but he didn't do any, any on field stuff. The college guys took BP, did in and out through a five minute bullpen if they chose to participate. And, you know, you've, you've seen all those guys for four months, you know, in the college season and the high school guys, if you want to, some of those guys played in games, but it wasn't the top, top guys really didn't play in games. So, so there, there's caveat there that I don't think players really had the opportunity to, 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 there weren't a bunch of guys moving up and down boards based on what they did there. You know, the teams were telling me they, I think they got more value out of the in-person interviews, especially coming off COVID where there wasn't as much mm, face yeah. time with guys this year. But, but that said, I think on the high school side, there's a pitcher from Arizona named Brock Selvage. Um, left-hander who came into the year, he was really good on the showcase circuit, and he was probably a top two-round guy. And he just didn't have a good year. His stuff was inconsistent. He didn't throw strikes. And he went to the combine, and he pitched in a game on, on the first day of games. They had some, they, unfortunately, three of the six games got rained out. Um, so they made the other games nine-inning games, and they did a live BP session. But anyway, Selvage threw 92-95 for three innings, threw a lot of strikes, faced one batter over the minimum. And, and I do think – you know, I think guys wanted to like him, and I think a lot of people walked away and said, hey, that was a Brock Selvage we loved last summer. So I, I think he helped himself. And on the college side, maybe um, outfielder Denzel Clark um, from Cal State Northridge, and because California had different restrictions, the Big West got a late start. They only played 40 games this year. They didn't play the, the full 56. So I think guys didn't see as much, and he got off to a slow start. So, you know, he, he wasn't really doing much in the first half of the season. You know, he wasn't playing for a while, then he wasn't doing much. And so I just don't think he got scouted as heavily. And he's he's interesting. He's a really good athlete. His mom was a Canadian Olympian in the heptathlon. Um, he's cousins with with uh, Josh and Bo Naylor, who both first round picks oh. out of Canada. Mm-hmm. You know, he's Canadian. Um, and you know he's got power. He's got speed. He was co Big West Defensive Player of the Year. And he had a. I mean, again, it was BP. <laughs> so it's not like he you know squared up. It's not like he was facing Rocker and Lighter at the combine and, and lighting them up. But he, he took a really good BP, and he looked athletic. And I think – I'm sure most of the people there had seen him, most of the national-level scouts, but it was another it was another look at him. So I think those would probably be the two guys I, I would point out the most. 
So we haven't heard too much about right now what the Orioles might do at 41. Last year we heard a lot about like Nick Bitsko, um, you know, some obvious options for the Orioles that might fall out of the first round. But for the second pick of the Orioles this time, um, what do you think they're kind of targeting? Last year, obviously, they took Jordan Westberg with that pick, uh, college bat, and really a position of need at shortstop for the Orioles. But where does it seem like they might go this year? Is it, are they more apt to take a guy like – you know, uh, maybe a high school player with a really high ceiling, or would you think they would rather go with a college guy who might be a little bit safer? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it depends really on on, on how pick five unfolds. You know, if they cut a deal, then I look, I think they're going to spend big. If, if say, Henry – like, and I think they like Henry Davis there. If Henry Davis gets there and you aren't really cutting a deal, maybe you play more straight up. You know, I heard the Bitsko stuff too. I think everybody – I think most teams in baseball think Bitsko was the guy they wanted. Right. Um, but the tricky part is with the draft, you can't guarantee the guy you wanted 41 is going to get there. Like, for instance right. – the Reds, because they have a they, they have a compensation pick for losing Bauer, and they have a, a, a competitive balance pick. They pick at, at thirty and thirty five, as well as picking at seventeen. So even though they don't pick until seventeenth overall in the draft cycle, I think they have the third highest bonus pool, and they have three picks for the Orioles pick. So theoretically, yeah. their team they could pick a guy off. You have the Tigers pick thirty two, and their two spots had the Orioles in the second round. So they're, they're going to get two more cracks to pick a guy too. So. It's hard to say. Um, yeah, I mean, I, the way teams handle high school pitchers is you generally they don't take them in the first round. Right. Um, only a couple go in the first round. Then you overpay them with your second pick. There's a lot of high school pitchers and high school outfielders who could fit that mold or high school athletes, whether it's a Josh Baez or Chase Petty or Frank Mazzucato or, you know, we've got Andrew Painter and Bubba Chandler going in the first round. Maybe somebody tries to push them down a little bit like, I, you know, Anthony Solomito is another guy. Um, those guys are probably going in the back half of the first round. And then you run into, well, if the slot's three, what if one of these teams with a bigger pool can pay him four? So it, it might be some guys uh, like that. You know, Lonnie White Jr., you know, James Wood are guys with really interesting packages of tools, but questionable bats. You got Max Muncy, who's more of a, a bat over a, over an all-around tools type of guy. Um, so those would be some of those guys. Or – you know, they could cut a deal and you could have what happened last year and the guys they want don't make it. And then they take the best, just who they think is the best guy or best college guy in the second round and then, and then do some damage in the fourth round. So it's, <laughs> I get asked that question a lot by the teams picking kind of at the top of the draft with extra picks. And it's right. just it's so hard to tell because no, nobody's going to tell us. Like, it's not like the NFL draft. Teams don't lie to us about who they're picking, but, but like they aren't going to come out. I got two calls. Um, they're not going to have. They're not going to tell us, "Hey, we're we want pitcher X, and we're going to give him four million dollars, and so we're going to do everything we can to make him fall." Like, so <laughs> um, it's hard to know specific targets. You just you just actually mentioned a guy I wanted to uh, talk about briefly. Uh, what's your evaluation on a guy like Chase Petty, and do you think he has a possibility of sneaking into the first round? Oh, he could. I mean, I, I think traditionally that's the type of pitcher the teams feel more comfortable overpaying with their second pick than, than, than taking in the first round. I mean, he's got a great arm, you know, triple-digit fastball, um, you know, power-breaking stuff, but he's not a real big guy. There's some effort in the delivery. It, it, it's a lot, it's a lot of, it looks a lot like a relief pitcher long-term. Like, like, and now you can say, I always say, you can, you can look at any pitcher and sit there and go, oh, I'm worried he's going to get hurt, or oh, I think he's going to be a reliever. And you know what? By the nature of pitching, you're going to be right most of the time. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think he comes with – if you look at the top high school pitchers, 
he comes with the most reliever risk of any of them. So I, I think like whoever takes him, I'm sure looks at him as a starter and I think he'll get paid and he'll probably get paid, you know, first round type money, you know, bottom half of the first round type money. But I just think he winds up being somebody's second pick or, or top of the second round pick than, than a first rounder if I had to guess, but, but there are teams on him, I think in the twenties. So kind of two questions in one for you here, all about Mike Elias. Obviously, there's there's some stigmas, I guess, about Mike Elias right now, about you know kind of what he likes to do in the draft. One of those, obviously, is going under slot. It seems like with the Carlos Correa pick, now the Heston Kerstad pick, that Mike Elias is going to become the GM to be known to go under slot. Um, so first of all, how real is is that stuff? Like, Is Mike Elias really the guy who loves to go under slot, or is that just a kind of a stigma? Or And number two, is Mike Elias afraid to go with pitchers right now because of what happened to, to Brady Aiken and Mark Appel? You know, well, I, I can't answer. Well, I can answer one. I, I think, I think that's way overblown. Um, you know, I, I think, I think, yes, last year they were trying to go, they, they were trying to cut a deal to have more money to go, you know, to, to get Nick Bitsko or whoever, and they didn't get Nick Bitsko, but they, they overpaid or gave overslot bonuses to, to Kobe Mayo. Right. And Bomber. But like people, misunderstand what the Astros did in 2012, honestly. Um, they didn't take Carlos Correa because they were looking to cut a deal. They took Carlos Correa. Like, I think they wanted Appel. Like, I, I still believe that Appel was our guy. Um, and it was the first year of the new draft rules of bonus pool. And, and Scott Boris was, was determined he was going to blow up the, the new rules. And he thought somebody was going to pay Mark Appel way over slot and lose two first-round picks. And, and he just was not going to agree to a number at one. And so they, they, they moved on to Cray. And, and what people don't realize, Cray, after us and everybody else came out of the draft rankings, went on this kind of like workout circuit with the teams atop the draft. And he just tore it up. He had unbelievable workouts. And he had a pre-draft deal. He was, the Cubs were going to take him at number six. Imagine Carlos Cray added to all those Cubs position players. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the guy they were going to take at six, and they wanted to take an Albert Amora. That would have been a little bit of an upgrade. Um, and honestly, his agent screwed up because when – Appel didn't go one. The agent, they, they called Correa, and Correa initially turned down the four point eight million dollar offer, which and I think the slot the first year was six million or no seven point two was seven point two, um, and, and Correa turned it down. And then they were going to go talk to Byron Buxton, was the next guy that the Astros were going to start to talk to. If Buxton goes one, Correa goes two. The, the Twins told me after the fact they, they would have taken Correa too, and so Correa had leverage. But but they didn't realize it, I guess. Um, it was just not a good job of figuring out what was going to happen with Correa. And so he called back and he took the 4.8. And there, there's there's this narrative that, oh, the Astros, you know, because, yeah, look, the Astros did a lot of good things. But there's narrative like, oh, the Astros were brilliant. They figured this out and they, they figured out how to cut a deal. And it got them Lance McCullers. And, I, and I'm telling you, like, that one drives me nuts because 100%, that was a talent pick first. And then they took the opportunity to save money because they could. It's like when the Cubs took Kyle right. Schwarber at four. The Cubs loved Kyle Schwarber. That's who they wanted it for. But that wasn't the consensus guy there, and they were able to save money. It was the same thing with the Astros. And, and even the narrative that, like, oh, that helped to get Lance McCullers. If they'd taken Byron Buxton and given him the $6 million bonus the Twins got, they still would have afforded Lance McCullers. They didn't have to go yeah. to 4.8. Um, what the difference was with getting Correa for 4.8, that got them Rio Ruiz in the fourth round for a seven-figure bonus. That, that would, that's one they wouldn't have been able to do. But so, I mean, if you look at Elias, and I don't remember how involved he was because Bobby Heck was still scouting director in Houston. I mean, I, I think Mike was involved, but it wasn't like Mike was, was definitely those shots. But, like, Correa was a talent pick. 
Mark Appel was a talent pick. I mean, he, he came at a little bit of a discount, but he was also a senior. He got the largest bonus seniors ever got. Brady Aiken, you know, was, was getting, you know, over $6 million before he failed his post-draft physical. And then Adley Rutschman, they, they gave Adley Rutschman a record bonus that, that, that was broken last year. You know, they didn't, they didn't try to get cute. I mean, Adley was the best guy. So I, I, I really think that even last year, I think it was without them coming out and saying so, I think after Spencer Torkelson, I don't think the Orioles necessarily loved anybody in particular. And they said, you know what? We think Heston Kerstad's, you know, you know, roughly as good as these guys, and we could sign him for a lot less than the rest of them. Um, yeah. You know, the pitcher part of it, maybe. Um, you know, because there were, there were some good college pitchers in last year's draft. You know, Max Meyer, Asa Lacey, Emerson Hancock. Um, they all would have cost more than Heston Kerstad. Um, so maybe that factored into it. Um, but I don't I don't think I, I think it's it's like I said, I, I just don't believe the narrative that Mike's looking to cut a deal. I, I think he's done that if you count the Korea draft as, as his draft, even if he wasn't the sky director, that's five drafts and he's done it once. Um, you know, he's taken the most talented player four times, or at least, you know, on on his team's board. And and honestly, like I said, like you just got a sense last year, everybody thought Austin Martin was going too, that the Orioles just weren't that high on him for whatever reason. And and look, I mean, he went fifth and teams liked him, but but I think Austin Martin is like the slam dunk number two guy was overblown a little bit too. Like he he was the best hitter in the draft. He doesn't have a lot of raw power. I mean, I think he's one of those guys who gets to most of his raw power just because he's such a good hitter, but uh, I don't see any way. I really don't think he plays on the left side, the, the diamond. He, I just don't think right. he's got the arm strength. And, and I know, and he had, he got the yips a little bit at Vanderbilt last year too. And they moved him from third base to alpha. I think he's a second baseman or center fielder. Um, and, and I just don't think, I think he's one of those guys that, that fans thought like, Oh, like Austin Martin's clearly number two. And I don't think a lot of teams felt that way. I mean, the Marlins picked number three and their scouting director, DJ Svillick, he recruited Austin Martin for Vanderbilt. And I'm not saying he didn't like Austin Martin. But you would have thought, like, oh, man, there, there's an easy connection there. And DJ Spillick didn't take Austin Martin either. So, um, so yeah, and, I, and I've talked so long, I forgot the second part of your question. But I, <laughs> I, I don't think he's a slam dunk, oh, we're going to cut a deal. I, I think he's done that one out of five times. And I really think the draft dictated that. I don't think they went into last year just as this is our master plan, we're cutting a deal. I, I think after Torkelson, they just kind of – they didn't see a clear number two guy. So I know you had mentioned uh, the Rockies possibly being a little tentative to take a pitcher. Um, what about what about a guy like Todd Madden who's a little bit more polished? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I don't know if they're tentative to take a pitcher per se. I think it would more be that if Rocker fell to eight, mm-hmm. I don't know if the Rocker if the I would say the Rockers the Rockies <laughs> want to pay what the overslot price tag would be for Rocker at eight because it's like and again I don't know the sun building guys yet. I will make. I think it's fair to assume. Like I don't know what my Rocker's price tag is. I don't think Rocker's going to sign for what the slot is at eight million dollars, which is, I mean, at eight, which is I think around five million dollars. Like I, I just, I don't think. I think he's going to be an over. Like if he starts getting down to six, seven, eight, nine, whatever, he's going to want well over slot. And well, you know, you can play the leverage game. Hey, you're really going back for your fourth year Vanderbilt. At the same time the way the bonus pools work, you want to know what you're spending on that first guy. So you know what you have to spend on other guys. And even if you thought theoretically, like, Hey, he, he asked to sign if we offer him six and maybe he does. And again, I don't know what his price tag is. They could still say, fine, you know what? We'll sign for six. We'll sign for six, three seconds before the deadline. So you can't go ahead and sign anybody else over slot. Cause you can't, you can't sign your over slot guys until you sign your under slot guys. Cause then you run the risk of 
hey, you know, we're, we might forfeit two future first rounders. So, um, so there was more of that. But yeah, I do think the Rockies, you know, depend like the Rockies. Like I said, there's a top tier of eight guys. I don't know that the Rockies would take all eight of them. So that would have to be the right guy fall to number eight. Like like Brady House might be the guy who goes last among the eight those eight players right now. And I think they take Brady House at eight. I think he'd be a great fifth. I, he kind of reminds me of Trevor Story, to be honest with you. So I, I think that might fit. Um, but then, it, like, let's say that there's not a top tier guy that they want at eight. Yeah, I think they could go with a Ty Madden. Um, I think he could possibly go in there. You know, they might go with a college, one of the college bats. You know, the the Colton Kalzer, Sal Frelick, Matt McLean group, or you know, maybe they go like they push up a guy a little bit, like Benny Montgomery, who's one of the better high school. Uh, position players out there probably the next best guy after that first tier of eight um but yeah i, I don't think the rockies are, are pitcher phobic i just think i don't think the rockies want to have to pay over slot for a pitcher at eight and then jim and to uh, wrap up my questions at least um has there been a player in the college tournament so far that you think has impressed enough to possibly push their way into the first round yeah i think the obvious guy there and like, I don't know when you guys will make this live, so maybe he will have pitched by the time this runs. But Will Bednar in Mississippi State, I, I, think, I think, has helped himself. He was, you know, like the college crops are weird. I, I think college hitters and college pitchers both, there's about four guys who are consensus first-round picks. And we know there's going to be more than four college bats and more than four college arms go in the first round. But there's no consensus on who the rest of them are going to be. And I think Bednar was kind of on that that borderline range um, – of you know late first sandwich early second and you know he, he really didn't pitch well in the super regional against Notre Dame like and so like at that point I thought okay you know probably on the outside looking in um but I mean he's been you know really good in Omaha you know he, he threw out 15 and six innings against Texas you know pitched well against him not that dominant second time he'll be on short rest tonight so like I don't I don't think how he pitches tonight will necessarily affect things because he's, he's pitching on shorter rest than he has all season, but he's got one of the better combinations of, of stuff and, and strike throwing in the draft. Um, and I think he, so I, I think he has like, like to me, he's a guy whose college world series performance in particular ha- has cemented him as a first rounder. I mean, you, I mean, I would say you don't see that too often when, and then I realized, well, the draft usually is before the college world series, but, but you usually don't see late season performance bolster a guy's stock that much. But I just think, he was so good against Texas that that, that was like, okay, like, yeah, this, this, this guy's stuff plays. We're, we're on it. And, and he bounced like he bounced back so well from that lackluster start against Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. So to kind of go back to the O's for our last question here. Um, I, I think most of the fan base was pretty upset last year when the Orioles took Heston Kirstad at number two overall. Um, and, you know, I, I think they got a little bit creative there where, you know, there were, there were obviously a few guys like Austin Martin, like you said, Max Meyer, guys that, that were more, you know, more of those top five level guys coming into the draft, they were all projected to go top five or Heston Kirst that really wasn't. And there's probably going to be something similar that happens this year in the top five where, where there will be someone picked and it wasn't really expected to go there. Um, and if it is the O's at number five, who would be the most out there kind of possibility for the O's to, to really, you know, jump up and, and take it number five. Could it be a guy like uh, Harry Ford or, you know, maybe a Sam Bachman, someone like that? Yeah, I, I think that's exactly um... I think those would be the two names I'd give you. I mean, I think if a team cuts a deal in the top five or or pushes a guy up, I should say, because I think the, I think the Pirates aren't going to pay eight point four million whoever they pick up one. But if a team takes a lower ranked guy outside that first tier in the top five to save money, it probably would be the Orioles. So that's one. Two, 
I think if they do it, the, the most likely candidates is that are, are that group of college position players I mentioned, you know, Colton Kowser, South yeah. Frelick, Matt McClain. And I've heard McClain less than I've heard Kowser and Frelick. Okay. Um, but a couple other names I have heard there are Harry Ford. Um, who, who's good. And he's, he's an interesting one because like he should be like a mid first round pick. He's a high school catcher. And then that, that's a, that's a scary demographic. Although the high school catchers who usually pan out better are the guys who are athletic enough to play other positions and have the bats to play other positions. And Harry Ford could definitely do that. He's like a plus runner. He could probably play anywhere. So I have heard some Harry Ford there. And it's weird because there's a lot of talk that he that, that people that people think he has a deal somewhere like in the upper part of the draft, like upper half of the draft. But then I had a team that was picking the 20s today told me they're they're searching around and nobody can figure out where he's going in the draft. Like, like, like they're unclear if if he might get to their pick. And their attitude was, I don't care if he has to deal with somebody like like to be somebody's second pick. We'll just take him, and he's not going to turn down, you know, two and a half million or whatever. Um, so I have heard some Harry Ford, um, and then I have heard some Sam Bachman too. Like, like I have heard those names. Like yeah, Bachman would be an interesting one because I really like him. I mean, he's got a great arm. He like yeah, I had I'm a big I had scouts, Sam Bachman guy. Yeah, I had scouts who saw him and were like. So I, like on his best days, it was like 80 fastball, 80 slider on the 20 scale. And he's got a pretty good changeup too. But man, like there's some effort in there. He's like 6'1, 230. It's not a great delivery. Like, like of the best college pitchers, he comes with the most reliever risk. He missed a couple starts this year. And you know, if you're talking about, you know, I don't think it's dogmatic slim dunk, we're not taking a pitcher. But you know, it, it does feel like the like the Orioles are leaning more hitter than pitcher at five. Like I'd be a little surprised if they cut a deal with Sam Bachman at five. I, you know, I, I've heard that I've heard some whispers of that, but like I, to me, it would be more likely that they would go, go for one of those college bats or, you know, go for Harry Ford. And it's funny. You, you guys know if they like, it's just like if they take Henry Davis, if they take Harry Ford or else going to be like, why did we just take a catcher? What did we do? Right, right. Yeah. Um, you'll, you'll hear that. But like with Harry Ford, that guy is so athletic, yeah. but he gets like, like catcher athleticism comparisons to Craig Biggio in that, he can play second. He can play center. You can play that guy anywhere in the diamond. So it would be interesting if they took Harry Ford, what they did with him. But, again, it's not like Harry Ford is locked in to, to catching. But I, but I have heard – I'm just trying to look here at my notes if I had any other – any notes. Yeah, and I don't remember if you just said him. Bubba Chandler is another one that's been mentioned there a little bit too. Wow, okay. Um, you know, and it would be interesting. Like I don't know if that would be Bubba Chandler as a shortstop or Bubba Chandler as a right-hander. I, I think I – think right. More teams like him as a pitcher. Um, I do think um, I do think there's not, but I don't think it's like you know ninety percent, ten percent. I think it's more like maybe sixty five, thirty five type of thing. But I, I don't know if I would be taking him as a as a shortstop. And yeah, you know, but that would be interesting too to try to cut a deal with a guy who I, I think he's signing, but right now he's at Clemson football camp. You know, Clemson's right. summer football camp's already open. And I don't think he's he's that type of quarterback. And and even if he were, I can't pronounce the guy's name. The guy filled in for Trevor Lawrence last year. That, that guy's gonna be the starter for two years. So like Bubba Chandler at best would would play quarterback three years down the road. So um, th- that's the other name I've kind of heard there. But but if I had to bet, I'd be more. I think it would more be that self relic Colton Cowser type of pick there at, at five. Nice. Well, uh, Jim, we certainly appreciate you joining the show. I know you have a very busy schedule. Um, where can people follow you on Twitter? How can they read your articles? All that. Yeah, it's um, on Twitter. I, I'm Jim Callis MLB. You know, G I M C A L L I S MLB. I try to tweet links to all the stuff I do. 
you know, MLB Pipeline has an account, MLB Pipeline. That's also the website, MLBpipeline.com. Um, and I, you know, one thing I'll, I'll show on the first site, all our stuff's free. All of our scouting reports and scouting grades and videos and articles and analysis, it's 100% free. I mean, obviously, we work for MLB. They're trying to promote the game. They want people to see it. But like, none of it's behind a paywall. So you, you can read all of our stuff. And you know, we're right now, we're going crazy with the draft, obviously. We're simultaneously going crazy with the Futures game and trying to keep up with everything that's going on in the minor leagues. So we're just churning out a ton of content. And it, like I said, it's all free. So, so people should check that out. Perfect. Thanks so much again, Jim. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thanks once again to Jim Callis, the writer for MLB Pipeline. He just told you exactly where you can follow him. So go give him a follow on Twitter. Give him a uh, give him a read on all of his different articles that he puts up. He puts up fantastic content, great around draft time, and especially uh, during the whole minor league season when he profiles so many different prospects. Um, so once again, our thanks to Jim Callis. Uh, make sure you're on the lookout in a few weeks on July 11th for the draft. We're going to have our annual, uh, for, really for the second time, our live draft show where we're going to sit in on the entire draft live. Um, we're going to do it obviously virtually, watching the watching the draft, giving our live reactions to who the Orioles pick, um, and we'll give breakdowns. We'll give our own top 50s. We'll give. Uh, pretty much everything you want to know on all of these draft prospects, and we'll give immediate reactions when the Orioles do make their draft picks. So make sure to look out for that. That's going to be live on draft day, so make sure you're there for that. It was a great time last year. We'll have some special guests, um, you know, including many people you know from Orioles Twitter uh, and in the Baltimore sports, so we're excited for that. Um, make sure you follow us on all our socials, uh, subscribe to us on YouTube, and we'll see you next time.